0: Amen. Thank you, Stu, musicians for helping us worship today. Isn't it great to be a part of such a fun church? Something going on all the time. Yesterday, I finished up upward uh, upward season. I'm uh, going to have uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night all of our uh, upward presentations and awards. We, we closed out our upward season, the 5th through 7th grade boys. We had four overtimes yesterday. The very last game, it went to 4. It, it was an exciting time. The students up the hill last night had a, had a great band come in. and ju- Just something all the time going on, right? It's great to be a part of a fun church. We've been looking this year at uh, spiritual success. and and what it means to be spiritually successful. And and, and Brother Tom has has been sharing a a lot of things that we have to have in our lives to be spiritually successful. But you know, as we think about all of of the good things that we do, all the fun things that we do, all the things that we want to be a part of our life, if we're not careful, we can forget our mission. We can forget why we're here. I'm reminded of the story of a a young man who was in seminary a few years ago, and he felt called to preach, but he had a fear of speaking in front of folks. (laughs) And so he'd never done it. But he he graduated college, he went to seminary, and and he did really good in the Old Testament, New Testament, Greek, Hebrew, uh, theology, everything. he, He made all A's in his classes, but he just had never gotten over the fear of being able to speak in front of people. And so it was a prerequisite at that seminary that you had to preach a sermon in front of of your peers before you graduated. And so finally it was getting down to the end. It was his last semester. And and so he had gotten his sermon ready. He had prepared. He had prayed. And and, and he got up to the front. And as he opened up his Bible and as he looked out, he forgot what he was going to say. And he said, Do you all know what I'm about to say? And everybody just said, shook their heads. He said, well, neither do I. And he sat down. Well, his professors wanted him to be successful. And they said, hey, we're going to give you another chance, another opportunity. Next week, you get to preach again. You'll do better your second try. Well, the next week, he got up and he stood and he looked out over all the preachers. And he opened up his Bible and he got ready to preach. And he said, do y'all know what I'm going to say? And this time, they didn't want to do this, so they all went, trying to encourage him. And he said, well, there's no need in me saying it then. And he sat down. Finally, they said, we're going to give you one more try. Because this guy really loved the Lord, and and he, and he really did well. And they just wanted to help him get over that fear. They thought, if he can do it the first time, he'll do it every time. And so he had his sermon ready again. The third week he got up there, he opened up his Bible, and as he started, the only thing that came to his mind was, do y'all know what I'm about to say? And this time, some of them were doing this, and some of them were doing that. And he said, well, those of you who know, tell those who don't. And he sat down. You know, when we think about our mission as a church, and as we take time today to, to remember our mission from, from Ezekiel chapter 3, we need to be reminded that our mission is to share what we know with those who don't know. You see, it's easy in this day and time in which we try to do church in the 21st century that think we can improve on what Jesus did in the 1st century. We think if we can just somehow develop the right event, everybody will come. If we can just put together the right kinds of programs, we can pique people's interest and and they'll come and somehow by coming to other things, they'll they'll hear the gospel and and, and they'll respond and they'll be saved. But yet as we read the New Testament, we find that Jesus wasn't as much about telling people y'all come as he was saying to the church, go tell. Now, I'm going to show my age a little bit today because I remember one of my favorite television shows when I was a boy I always started the same way. The fellow would sit down with an old reel-to-reel tape recorder and on that tape recorder, there would be a mission. It would tell you what was about to happen and the tape would always end like, this your mission should you decide to accept it and then the tape would burn up. Anybody remember that show? What was it? Mission Impossible. Well, you and I have a mission today. And it's not Mission Impossible. It's Mission Possible because of who Jesus is and and what he's done. It's a possible mission. There's another difference between our mission and the mission that Peter Graves had on Mission Impossible. His was should you decide to accept it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have that option to decide whether or not we're going to accept His mission. Because He gave us what we know today as the Great Commission, right? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. His mission, our mission, His commission that He gave to us is to make disciples. When he called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen out fishing by the sea, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Could it be if we're not fishing, we're not following? Because to follow Jesus means to be fishers of men. I want to read to you a little parable, if you'll, if you'll bear with me just a moment. It's something that, that I read a number of years ago. It says, on a dangerous seacoast, Where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought of themselves, they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. And some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews trained and the little life station, life-saving station, station began to grow. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and, and poorly equipped and they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea so they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the bigger building And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club but fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life saving missions So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decorations and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club's initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Now some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they still were called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, though, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It, too, evolved into a club and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself and if you visit that seacoast today, You'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. I'm afraid as we read that parable, we see a lot of of the church in that parable today. Because it's easy to focus on secondary things and forget our primary purpose. It's easy to focus on good things so that we don't have to do the best things. It's easy to do the easy things so that we don't have to follow Christ and do the hard things. You and I have been given a mission. We've been called to a mission. We call it the Great Commission. It's a mission similar to what Ezekiel had in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 4. Would you turn with me there in God's Word? Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 4. Find Isaiah Toward the end of the Old Testament, then you'll find Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 4. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not too many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted because I have made your face strong against their faces and, and your forehead strong against their foreheads like adamant stone harder than flint. I've made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Then down in verse 17, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. You may be seated. Ezekiel was given a mission. He was given a mission at the time in the the, the life of Israel in in, in which it was a very difficult time because they had not listened to all the prophets. They, They didn't listen to Isaiah. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. And God had called on them to repent. And because they would not repent, God allowed them to be carried away into captivity. But even in captivity, even in exile, God still raised up a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And he sent him to be on mission. You know, our entire Christian walk, following God, is simply God inviting us to follow him. Calling us to to, to come after him. And it's a mission that we, that we all have. To be a Christian means that we have that mission. To be a Christian means that we follow the Great Commission. To be a Christian means that we're to be made fishers of men. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Hands going up all over the room. We, we've got a lot of opportunities. You notice in the bulletin for, for you to be able to go on a, on a mission trip. I love mission trips. You know, and and you get away, and and you sometimes even though it, you know, it's great sacrifice, time, and 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 luxuries and comforts and all of those things. But you go and you, you you pour your heart into it, and and for a period of five, six, seven, eight days, or even longer, sometimes you give everything you have to that mission, and you come home exhausted. But you come home so excited because you, you feel like you, you contributed to something. You, you, you feel like you, you, you made a difference. And everybody that's on that mission, you, you bonded with one another. And you come home and you, and you talk about it over and over and over and over. But then after a while, you, you just sort of get back to life, don't we? And, and the memories of that mission and the, the things that you did, you begin to put it to the wayside and you get back to life as normal. You know, God intends for every day of our life to be a mission trip. You say, well, preacher, I have to work. That's your mission field where you work. Preacher, I have to go to school. That's your mission field where God has sent you to school. Preacher, I have to give time to my family. That's your mission field, those in your family. You see, God calls us to be on mission with Him every day. And as we remember our mission, we must realize the importance of that mission. You see, it's God's mission, and there's no plan B. We've got to realize how important that God chose to use you and me to, to spread His Word, to, to, to spread the message. We've got to realize how important it is. You see, we've got to start where we are. You see, don't go across the ocean to do missions if you won't go across the street. Don't go around the world if you won't go around the block. Don't go talk to a complete stranger that speaks a different language if if you won't talk to the people you know and love about Christ. Every day you and I have the opportunity to be on the most important mission in the world, more important than anything else that's going on at work or home or in the world. It's an important mission that God invites us to join with Him. And there's no plan B. It's not optional. You see, if we're not sharing our faith, we cannot be spiritually successful. I don't care how you measure it. Now, people measure success a lot of different ways in our own personal lives and in our church. We can measure success a lot of different ways in our church and we got a lot of great things happening. But if God's people of Indian Springs Baptist Church are not actively, consistently sharing their faith on a daily basis, we are not a successful church. And we are not successful as Christians. Because we're doing the secondary and we're leaving out the most important. We're leaving out the primary. And we must realize the importance of... Of the mission. But secondly, we got to be honest and recognize the difficulty of the task. It's not easy. It's not easy on our part, and it's not easy on their part. I, I like what he, what he said to to Ezekiel there that at the end of a end of verse six. He 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 said, "Hey, I'm sending you to Israel. They're not going to listen to you." If I'd have sent you to somebody with a, with a different language and a different speech, somebody that had never heard it before, they would listen. But he said, The people of Israel, they're impotent, they're hard headed, and hard hearted. He did everything but call them Baptists right there in that verse. He said, Ezekiel, let me tell you something. I'm going to make your head harder than theirs. And you'll be able to stand and preach and butt heads with them and keep on preaching. He said, you're going to share whether they hear or whether they refuse. You're going to share. It's a difficult task. You know, as we read today and pray today around around our world and, and, and we see spiritual awakening and revival and people being saved, and we can't help but ask, Lord, why are we not seeing it here? Why are we not seeing it in our country? I remember when communism first came to China and reading in the historians and we had to bring all of our missionaries home and we had about a million Christians. Remember Lottie Moon? We have our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. She was a missionary to China. And in 1950 when we left China, there were about a million Christians in China. And we left and had very little if any contact with any of our churches or any of the believers or anybody there for a period of about 50 years. Then all of a sudden, when they begin to open up just a little bit, and we begin to find out a little bit and have more communication, that million Christians in 1950 had grown to a hundred million by the year 2000. The only thing they had was the Word of God and the method of Jesus, but they increased by a hundredfold, even though they were persecuted and and and. In difficult circumstances. But they heard the word, they believed, and they, and they trusted. Here in our nation, well, 80%, four out of five people claim to be Christian. So some people don't even think they need to hear the word. They think, hey, I'm already a Christian. But of those, less than half attend church. And less than half will, believe that, will say that the Bible is totally true. Barna did some research a little while ago. He's found that 50% of Americans, half, claim to be born again. In other words, they've had a salvation experience. But even of those 50% that claim to be born again, they're again. Only about half of those are actively involved in church. And many of them, when they were just giving a basic survey of worldview, their worldviews were absolutely no different than those that didn't claim to know Jesus Christ. So while they claimed to be born again, it had no difference in how they lived and how they believed and what they did each and every day. So it's it's difficult. But you know the statistic that just blows my mind? It's the statistic that says that over 90% of those who claim to be born again Christians, over 90% have never shared their faith with even one person. Ninety percent have never shared even one time at all. story a few years ago of a lady that she had worked in this, in this office and they didn't really have offices, it was cubicles. And, and there was a lady uh, that was in the cubicle next to her and uh, they'd worked together for seven years. And uh, they were friendly, they'd gone to lunch together and that kind of stuff. And, and the lady that worked in this cubicle, she was, a, she was a Christian. And she felt like, hey, you know, I need to talk to my friend. I need to find out because the subject of Christ or church or the Lord never came up. She said, I need to talk. I need to find out, you know, what she believes about Jesus if she's a Christian. And so finally her church, it was a large church, was having an event. And she thought, well, well, maybe this is my opportunity. Maybe this is my chance The way I can break the ice is is I can invite her to my church to that event. And so she prayed and she prayed for courage so that that she would do it. And so finally she she got up her nerve and she went around to the other cubicle and she said, hey, I've been meaning to ask you something. I go to such and such church and we're having this event on Saturday night. Would you like to come? And the lady in the neighboring cubicle there, she just started laughing. And she said, you're not going to believe this but I go to that same church and I've been praying about getting up the nerve and the courage to ask you to go to that same event two Christian ladies working side by side for seven years friends and never one time bringing up Jesus is that fulfilling the great commission? Is that becoming fissures of men? You know, some, sometimes people do say our churches have become nothing more than social clubs. I'm afraid we've become chicken clubs. We're chicken to share our faith. The opportunity comes and, and we get chicken and we get cold feed and, and we don't do it. In David Platt's new book, Follow Me, which is a great book, I'd encourage you to get it. just been out a couple of weeks. Francis Chan writes the introduction. The introduction is worth the price of the book. But here's what Chan wrote. What's most tragic is that we could be experiencing God, but instead we're experiencing guilt. Our fear of following Him into a life spent making disciples leaves us feeling disappointed in ourselves. Don't you struggle with this kind of guilt? You read the Bible and believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You fear that those who die apart from Christ face a horrifying future. Yet for whatever reason, you've made little effort to warn your family and friends. You have neighbors, co-workers, and others you pass by daily without even saying a word to them about Jesus. You look at your life and think, this doesn't make sense. Either I don't really believe the Bible... Or I'm extremely unloving. I'm more concerned about being rejected than I am about someone's eternal destiny. Could it be that Francis Chan is right when more than 90% of Christians have never one time shared their faith? It is a difficult task. You say, well, what do we do? What are are you talking about when you talk about sharing your faith and and talking to people about Jesus? Well, it's simply we just got to relay the message that God has given to us. We got to relay the message that God has given us. Oh, look with me in verse 10 of Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 10. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, Receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives, to the children of your people and, and, and speak to them and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Notice how we relay the message. First of all, we got to receive it for ourselves. We've we, we, we got to get it. we got to hear it. Whether we're listening and whether we're reading or whatever, we get it. We we, we take it in. We we internalize it. But notice that's just the first step. We internalize it so that we can transmit it. He said, now, once you take it in, now go get to the captives. you got to share it. It's good news. we got to share it. You see, what we need is not another class. What we need is not another study. Some of us have been studying and studying and learning and reading and and over and over and over and over, but we've never, we've taken in, we've taken in, but we've never given out. We receive so that we can transmit. We simply relay the message that God has given to us, that even though we're sinners, Jesus loved us enough to come and he died on the cross for our sin and through his shed blood on that cross you and I can be saved and have eternal life. That's all there is to it. From from John 3.16 to whatever you might want to use. We take it in and then we've shared it. Last year was the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. A few years ago, a movie came out, really made it popular, got it back into everybody's mind. The ship that was supposed to be the ship of all ships, unsinkable. And yet, you know the story on its maiden voyage. Hitting an iceberg in the North Atlantic, and it began to sink. The makers and the owners of the ship were so convinced that it wouldn't sink that they had only bothered to have enough lifeboats, 20 lifeboats, that would carry half the passengers. And so as Abed's ship began to sink and they began to lower the lifeboats and people began to get in knowing they only had half enough, they filled up the lifeboats only about halfway. Some of them were practically empty. But folks got in the lifeboats, the lucky few, and they rowed away. As the ship kept sinking, some were able to find life preservers, pieces of uh, the ship that would float And so even after the ship had had broken apart and totally sunk, there were still people out floating in the water, the frozen water of the North Atlantic. And they were yelling and crying out for the lifeboats to come back, come back, save us, come back. Only one lifeboat turned around. A couple days later as the funeral ships were coming to pick up people, they found hundreds Hundreds with life preservers, life vests floating on pieces of debris that did not drown, they froze to death. The people who were saved didn't care enough about the folks who were dying to turn the boat around and go back and pull them out of the water. You see, it's wonderful to come and talk about our eternal salvation and how great it's going to be in heaven and how we're saved and secure and Jesus Christ lives in our life. That's wonderful for us. What about our family and friends? Who's going to share the good news with them if God's given us the mission to do it? We got to relay the message that God has given to us. Now, that's still something we can't do on our own. I'm convinced that spiritually, sharing our faith for most of us, except for a few, is the hardest thing we'll ever do. God knew we could not do it on our own. That's why we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. The only way that we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us and compelling us to do it. Peter's a classic example, isn't he? Here was old Peter, he'd walk with Jesus for three years. He was one that when Jesus said follow me that he threw down his nets immediately and walked away from his business and started following Jesus day and night. And after three years Jesus was getting them together there in the upper room and and he said to all of his disciples okay it's time. They're going to come get me. They're going to kill me. All of you guys will desert me. But old Peter He stood up and he said, not me, Lord. These other cowards, they may run. But I'm with you. And even when they came to get Jesus in the garden, Peter was ready, wasn't he? He had his sword. He pulled it off and pulled it out and cut someone's ear off. Jesus said, not that way, Peter. Put up your sword. because when Peter made his big boast Jesus said ah Peter before the rooster crows you'll deny me three times and as Peter followed Jesus at a distance three times people said do you know him? no surely you were with him no yeah I know you were with him and he cursed and denied it vehemently on his own he couldn't stand up for Jesus but 50 days later, gathered together that 120 in the upper room, and the Spirit of God fell from heaven, and, and, and they began to, to speak, and the, when the power of God and they began to hit the streets and speak in all different languages, there was Peter standing on the street preaching, and 3,000 were saved on that very first day. What was the difference? Same man. difference was instead of doing it in his power he was now doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit you see isn't it amazing When when that early church when they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God what did they do? they didn't stay inside and have a longer preaching service they didn't organize more Bible study groups they didn't have more singing when they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God they hit the streets And they began to share with anybody and everybody. And as they shared the Word of God, people's hearts were opened and they were saved. See, Jesus never intended for the church to wait for people to come to us. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we go to where they are. Jesus, the scripture says, had need to go through Samaria because he wanted to take the gospel to the Samaritans. Philip was in revival up in Samaria. The Holy Spirit of God picked him up in the book of Acts and put him on the road to Gaza. And along came the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the scripture and couldn't understand it. God put him in the right place at the right time. When we rely on the Holy Spirit of God, God puts us in those places where He wants us to be with those hearts and He's preparing to receive the Word of God and we get there and it works. What Paul taught us about the importance of praying, I find Paul, when it came to sharing his faith, he basically prayed, he asked us to pray for three things. First of all, we need to pray for an open door. He wrote to the, to the Colossian church and he said, Hey, pray that God will open the door that I might be able to preach the gospel. Pray for an open door. But then secondly, we need to pray for open hearts. When he heard the Macedonian, when he saw the Macedonian vision and he, and he went over to Philippi and he found Lydia and some ladies worshiping down by the river, the scripture says that God opened up Lydia's heart so that she could receive the message pray for open hearts, receptive hearts from the people that we talk with. Then not only do we pray for open doors, opportunities and open hearts, but we need to pray that God would give us the courage to open our mouths. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19, after he talked about putting on the whole armor of God, he said, pray for me that I will have the boldness to open my mouth and proclaim the mysteries of the truth. And so as God opens doors, and as God opens hearts, let's let Him open our mouths under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, gang, time's running out. You see, we don't, sometimes we act like we got all the time in the world. We need to play like it's a two-minute warning, and we're two touchdowns behind. Not business as ordinary. So that God can let us be a part of his bringing the world to himself. Finally, as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to remember. We need to remember that our success is not based on people's response. But on our obedience. Say I like that because it takes the pressure off. All I'm supposed to do is Share. Because I don't save anybody; God does the saving. I I don't have. I heard someone say, "Well, I was, oh brother, so and so saved me." I thought, "Wow, brother, so and so saved you." (laughs) You know, Jesus is the one who saves. Takes the pressure off. All I got to do is just share. I've just got to be obedient. I like what he said to Ezekiel at the end of of verse eleven. There, he said, "Whether they hear, whether they refuse, it doesn't matter." You just keep sharing. Verse 17, Jesus said, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. You see, I'm not responsible for what people do with the gospel. But I am responsible for what I do with the gospel. And as a church, we are responsible for what we do With the gospel. You see, sharing our faith is sort of like being in the postal service. You know, when the postman, when he brings my mail, his job is to bring the mail and get it in my box. Not my neighbor's box, but in my box. And if he brings me my electric bill and I go out and I get my bill, I thought, my goodness, it's high this month. I'm not going to pay that. And I don't pay it. In a few days, he brings me another letter from the utility company saying, if your bill's not paid by such and such day, we're going to cut off your lights. And I say, oh, well, they'll never do that. I throw that in the trash. When they cut my lights off, it's not the postman's fault. He did his job. He brought me the message We share the love of Christ. What people do with it, that's them. But we're responsible for getting it there. Remember a few years ago, I think it was in Chicago, when a postman went postal? And they went to his home and they looked in his basement and in his basement there were just bags and bags and bags of undelivered mail. Remember that? I'd hate to have been on the end of his route, wouldn't you? I mean, about lunchtime, I guess he just called her today and went home. And mail wasn't delivered. It wasn't delivered. Tragic. A few years ago, I was preaching at a church. They let me use a spare office to study and to pray. In that office, I noticed it was just full of tracts, gospel tracts and New Testaments. And I remember saying, hey, what, what's all these tracts and New Testaments? They said, oh, we bought all those. Uh, we were going to give them to, you know, to every home in our neighborhood, but uh, we just couldn't get people to do it. And all those tracts, all those Bibles, sitting in a back office of a church while their neighborhood goes to hell. We're just responsible to be obedient to share with those that God puts in our path as we intentionally and intently share the gospel so that their blood won't be on our hands. Oh, I like what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. See, the scripture's scary when it says, To whom much is given, much is required. You and I, as individuals, and you and I as a church, we've been given much. And God holds us accountable for how we share His word. It's our mission, it's why we're here. If we don't do that, all the other stuff we do, we might as well show, shut the doors and go home. Because we come in here to receive the word so that we can go out there and share the word. Way back in 1975, a young girl, 17 years old, by the name of Squeaky Fromm, is her name. She tried to kill President Ford. She was a follower of Charles Manson. After she was arrested, some of the reporters interviewed her and and said, why did you do such a thing? Why do you follow Charles Manson? And she said, well, I felt like a misfit at school and at home. So I left my home, I believe it was in Georgia, traveled all the way across the United States, ran away, was sitting on a curb in Whittier, California, and a man came up and put his hand on my head and said, if you'll come with me, I'll take care of you. She said his name was Charles Manson. I followed him. Here were her words. She said, I believed him. I followed him. And I would die for him. I decided when I was 14 years old that whoever loved me first could have my life. You and I drive by Squeaky's every day, they're in our neighborhood. They're in our schools. They're at our work. They're in our families. Not us who. Not now when. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. If we're not fishing for men, are we really following Jesus? We have a commission, a mission, a charge that we have to live we're accountable to what we do with the keys to the kingdom let's pray Father thank you for a man like Ezekiel who accepted your mission and proclaimed your word Father help us today as we think about the mission you have for us every individual here Lord, there's some here in this place today, they've never opened up their life to you. They've never committed themselves to following you. And I pray that today, even as they're sitting in their chair right now, that they would say, Lord, I know you died on the cross for my sin. I know that I'm a sinner. And I commit my life right now to follow you. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. I pray that somebody right now just prayed that prayer. For others of us, Lord, there are names and faces that are going through our minds right now. People that we know, that we love, that we care about, but we don't know where they stand with you. And we're ashamed to admit then even though we've known them for years, we've never talked with them about the most important person in our life. Lord, we pray for open doors. We pray for open hearts. Lord, we pray that you would open our mouths to share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together as Stu leads us?